true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all here. And to everyone who's watching us online, we welcome you also. This is World Mission Sunday. Also, the first Sunday of every month is our uh, customary Youth Sunday. And so we had youth readers. We're not able to have the children's sermon that we normally do right now. But the other thing that I want to say is this. I haven't prepared a specific message for the children this morning because what I'm going to share with us is something that's so easy that even the children can do it. And part of the hopeful expectation is that this is something parents will do with their children in the formation of the faith. So today we celebrate World Mission Sunday. It's a somewhat newer celebration on the church calendar. It was actually thought up by the members of our own Anglican Church in North America, which is kind of cool to think about, that we made a contribution to the liturgical calendar and put it in the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. You'll find it in the Sunday readings if you're of such a mind to go look up those kinds of things. But I want to start here because the celebration of World Mission Sunday, it's at least two things. It's at least two things. First, it's a declaration. It's a declaration that by his life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection that Jesus has established a global and eternal family from every tongue, tribe, and nation. I think we did this last week. We'll do it again. Look around. These are the people that you will be spending all of eternity with. Get to know them well. Get along with them and find ways to enjoy one another's company. Secondly, World Mission Sunday is an invitation. It's an invitation, of course, for us to participate in the Great Commission, to be and to make disciples as we've been talking about the last few weeks. But if we're honest, World Mission Sunday is also something else. It's an admission. It's an admission that even after 2,000 years, our work is not over because the job is not yet finished. It's an admission that comes with a very powerful thought that I want for us to consider. The mission of the church exists because worship of Jesus Christ does not. We all know this to be true, that there are places in this world where the worship of Jesus Christ does not exist. Therefore, the mission of the church does exist. Now this morning, I want us to think not about those somewhat intangible people out there somewhere who need the mission of the gospel. What I want us to think about this morning is the people right here in our midst who we know. Maybe they're our friends. Maybe they're our neighbors. Maybe they're a family member. Maybe they're someone else. The ones that you and I are hoping and praying even now will come to know Jesus, to experience the very salvation of God, to feel the freedom of that release from the bondage of sin, and to know that peace that passes all understanding. After all, Christ the Redeemer is a mission, is it not? Yes, <laughs> this is a mission. The very first thing that God spoke to me when he called me to plant this parish 13 years ago, he said, establish the kingdom of God where it does not now exist. Establish the, that's been my marching order. All of the get out of the boat, those are all true things. Like that's what I had to do to make it happen. That's what we had to do. But he said to me right up front, establish the kingdom of God where it does not exist. And of course, that means you and I are missionaries as part of this commissioning congregation. We here are working and willing to grow the kingdom of God 
and become that city on a hill that we've been envisioning now. So I just want to talk to us today about us here at Christ the Redeemer and our mission. Last three weeks, we've been talking about becoming disciples. We've talked about the call. We've talked about the community. We've talked about the commission. That's what discipleship looks like. That's kind of the big picture. But today, I want to talk about how to do it. What's a practical first step or first steps that we can take in the business of becoming and making disciples as a congregation? You all have heard now from our friend, Father Jerry Kramer, multiple times, who's working on the front lines of the mission field in the Middle East. And he's talked about this disciple-making movement, not a program, but a movement that transforms people's lives through a study program that's known as the Discovery Bible Study Method. The Discovery Bible Study Method. You can look this up online. It's, it's a global uh, witness to the gospel and such a wonderful way to study the Bible. Here's the great thing about this method. It doesn't require a seminary degree to do it. Anybody can do it. The only thing it does require is a Bible and a willing heart. That's all you need to do this Bible study method. In fact, the way Jerry Kramer is gathering people around him in the Middle East, he gets a group together, he models this Bible study for them, and then once somebody gets it, once they get on fire for the Word of God, they just go out and they get other people and they do it and they do it and they do it. And he said to us, the gospel spreads best when it spreads naturally. What's the natural spread of the gospel except to get on fire for the Word of God and go tell others about it? So this morning, I want to show us how it works in a modified sort of way. I'm going to do what we've been doing the last three Sundays, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. In your chairs underneath you, you'll find these little black Bibles. Take them out. Let me get to the right screen. Turn to page 852. I hope I got the right page. Turn to page 852. If you're not easily able to do that and willing to look on your phone, you're welcome to do that. If you're watching online, you can call up a second screen or grab your Bible. I want to read this to us again. And as I read it, as I read it, I want us to ask ourselves these four questions. Page 852, we're going to read it again. And just as we go, I want you to have these four questions in your mind. What does this say about God? What is this passage telling us about God? Secondly, what's it telling us about humanity? Men, women, children in general. What does this tell us about humanity? Third, what's it saying to me? And fourth, what might God be asking me to do about it? So as I read it out loud, did I get the right page? 852. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I'm going to read this again, and I'm going to ask you to have those four questions in your mind. So this morning, you're going to get Sunday school and a sermon all packed into one. Here we go. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now just leave your Bibles open, because as I talk about these four questions, you may want to interact with the text and see if you can find the things that I'm saying as we go along. So as we get started, I want to confess that I cheated a little bit. And I didn't cheat because of my seminary degree or any extensive Bible study that I did this week. I cheated because I have already done this twice this week. I did it with our staff at our staff meeting on Wednesday. Then I did it again on Wednesday night with a group of men. And I can tell you it was edifying to all of us. So I'm not going to share with you just the things that I saw. I'm going to share with us the collective wisdom of what we experienced. And hopefully in doing that, you'll see how easy, how inviting, how engaging, and how spiritually beneficial this can be. First question. What does this say about God? Of course, it says a lot of things about God, but I just want to focus on a few things that I'll work through very simply. The first thing this tells us about God is that God is a God of resurrection and life. God is a God of resurrection and life. Think of the setting of the story. When did the story happen? Right after Jesus' crucifixion and death and burial and upon his resurrection, Jesus is risen from the dead and he's showing himself to the disciples. His resurrection is a physical demonstration that God has conquered sin and death. Secondly, this tells us that God is a God of peace. After Jesus' crucifixion, where are his disciples? They're locked in a room because they're afraid. They're afraid for their lives. They're afraid that what had just happened to Jesus might now happen to them, so they're in hiding and they're in fear. So get this, not once, not twice, but three times Jesus says to them, peace be with you. Three times Jesus issues a word of peace into the lives of the disciples. That's really, really important. Because when God talks about peace, he's not talking about the kind of peace that we might talk about that's a little bit more like wishful thinking because we don't really know what's going to happen. We're talking about divine peace. That we will know what happens, eschatologically speaking, because we know what did happen. Because Jesus has conquered sin and death, we know what the future holds and who holds it. That we can have faith in him and we can have eternal life. Again, look around in the room. These are the folks we will be spending all of eternity with. And that's pretty cool to think about. Third thing, and this is really important. God is a God of resurrection and life. God is a God of peace. And those two things tell us this very important third thing about God. That God meets us in our place of need. God meets us in our place of need. Jesus is simply saying, hey, that God that you've been looking for, I'm him, I'm it. I'm standing here right in front of you, risen from the dead. And we might think here about the I am statements from John's gospel. What does he say? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, yet though he die, he shall live. I am the bread of life. Those who feed on me will never be hungry. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. A fourth thing that this tells us about God, and this is really, really important also for us to see, God wants our unmitigated faith. 
our unmitigated faith. I stole that word straight from someone in this parish whose name shall be uh, hidden for sake of anonymity, but her initials are Alice Meyer. She told me I could say that. God wants our unmitigated faith. That was so powerful it spoke to me because what it means is that Jesus is after our absolute, unqualified, unwavering confidence that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Emmanuel, the Christ of God, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Light of the world, who was and is and who is to come. All that from unmitigated faith. Because of who He is and what He's done for us, He wants our unmitigated faith. And because of who He is and what He's done for us, we should delight to give it to Him. We should delight to give it to Him. Last thing I'll say about God, and then I'll start talking about us, is that this passage tells us that God is a God who sins. S-E-N-D-S, to be clear, not sins. Sins. He sends us out into the world. Now, I'll steal something else from someone that somebody, something somebody said this week, and I will keep this person anonymous because he was kind of lightly musing about whether or not this was the best idea God ever had to send us out into the world. Whether or not it was his best idea, guess what? It was his only idea. And the point of that is that God always planned to work out his purposes through humanity from the very beginning. God was always going to use us to accomplish his purposes. And what that means is that when Adam failed, God sent Jesus, the Son, incarnate. And he wasn't plan B either. He was plan A all along. You see, my friends, we know this. That free will thing, it's really good when it works well and it's really bad when it doesn't. We've all experienced that in our lives. But the point is this. Whether or not we get it right, God was always going to show us how much he loved us. How? By taking on flesh. His plan and his purpose was always to work through humanity to accomplish his will here on this earth. So we're sent. We're sent to share that good news, as I said last Sunday, to demonstrate and to declare the triumph of good over evil in this world. And that comes through the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross and by his resurrection. So that takes us nicely to the second question. What does this say to us about humanity? Here's one thing that it says to us. It tells us that without Jesus, we are locked in bondage of fear. Again, let's go back to the disciples. Where were they? They were hiding in the other room. They were locked. They had bet the farm on Jesus, and all they knew at that point in time was that he was crucified and he was dead. And now they're asking themselves, did we get it wrong? Did we miss? What, what, what did we miss? What did we get wrong? Because the guy we thought was Messiah is dead, and he's buried, and he's in the ground. Now what do we do? Again, are we going to be crucified and killed like he was? Those are the kinds of questions. Without Jesus, we are locked in bondage and hiding in fear. Now, here's another thing that we learned. That's true, but guess what else is also true? With Jesus, we are equipped and empowered to be, as the Bible says, more than conquerors in Christ. Without Jesus, we're in bondage and hiding in fear. With Jesus, we are equipped and empowered to be more than conquerors in Christ. Notice what Jesus does. He breathes on them. And he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And that should sound just like Genesis where God breathes the breath of life into Adam in creation. What's Jesus doing? He's breathing the breath of recreative life into us by the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what takes us from fear to becoming more than conquerors. 
Indeed, when we look out at the world and sometimes when we look at ourselves, we do wonder sometimes whether or not we were God's best idea. But the point is that we need to stop looking out at the world. We need to start looking up to God because the answer there is that, yes, we are his best idea. We are his only idea. God always plans to work out his purposes through you, through me, humanity. That's God's plan all along. So that leads me to my final observation about humanity for this morning, which is this. Look at Thomas. Look at Thomas and think about Thomas and now start thinking about those friends again that I talked about at the beginning of the sermon. The first time Jesus came to the disciples after his resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't there. And the interesting thing about that is Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with that. He didn't look at the remaining ten. Remember, Judas, Judas has now left the scene. He didn't look at the other ten and say, where's Thomas? What are we going to do? Jesus didn't run out in a panic or send them out in a panic. He issued to those disciples, peace be with you. And then eight days later, where was Thomas? This time he's with the disciples. And I think sometimes people miss this. But it's really, really important for us to get a hold of because when Jesus appears to Thomas and, and allows him to see him and touch him if he wants to, Thomas isn't by himself with Jesus. Thomas is with the community of disciples. He's with them. And the point is this. When we're apart from Jesus, we're given to doubt. But when we're with the community of faith, when we're among Christians, we are emboldened by faith. When we're apart from Jesus, when we're apart from the Christian community, we doubt. But when we're with the Christian community, we are emboldened by faith, and we see that in Thomas. Yes, we know that Jesus goes to leave the 99 sheep to find the one. Yes, we know the lost coin. Yes, we know the prodigal son. But the point of this story is this. When we are apart from Christian community, we doubt. But when we are with Christian community, we are emboldened by faith. Now, there are only two questions left. And they happen to be the two questions that I can't answer for you. Each of us has to wrestle these last two questions to the ground. What is this saying to me right now? What is the Spirit of God saying to me? We've said a little bit about what it says about God. We've said a little bit about what it says about humanity. What's it saying to me? And most importantly in all of that, what is God asking me to do about it? I can't answer those questions for you all, but I can tell you how we're answering them at Christ the Redeemer, and I can invite you to join me in participating in it, as many of you already are. If we are going to become that city on the hill that we've been dreaming and talking about, then we must build a pipeline of leadership here at Christ the Redeemer. And if we're going to build that pipeline of Christian leadership here at Christ the Redeemer, then we must be a community of discipleship. Notice I said a community of discipleship. There are no Lone Ranger Christians, a community of discipleship. And the best way for us to be a community of disciples means for us to study the Word of God. The primary way that we do that here at Christ the Redeemer is through life groups, breaking down a larger church into smaller groups so that we can share life together, we can live life together, we can engage in life together. And yes, it's best when we can do that in person, but thanks be to God for technology where we can do it on Zoom if we need to. We can meet around the world if we need to, if that's what the circumstances require. 
So the primary way we do discipleship is through life groups, and a great way to do a life group is this discovery Bible study. See how easy that was? Y- y'all didn't have to say a thing. <laughs> we, just did a, we just did a discovery Bible study, and you didn't have to say anything at all, but I bet you want to because it's a really cool way to engage the scriptures. And just listen to a couple of scriptures as I close this morning. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here also from Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Here also from Proverbs 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. What does that tell us? The Bible is profitable for us. It doesn't require a degree, just a Bible and a willing heart to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to experience him, to know him, and to enjoy him forever, and to bring others into this Christian community as he calls us. And to God be the glory now and forever. Amen.